work. The very first Sunday in Advent this past year, Sunday, November 27th, a number of you were here. The prelude played. I came up. I welcomed us all. Terry Stubblefield and Joey Michael walked across. They were over here at the Advent candle, and they, they lit that first candle in, in Advent. And then Monica, she, she played the very first chord of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And do you know what you all did? Stood up. Do you remember what was supposed to happen? We talked about this briefly during our worship planning meeting that week ahead of this service. And, and I said, you know, let's remain seated for that part. It's a really a short, reflective verse. We're not singing the whole hymn. It's just it's real short. And then, you know, after we sing that briefly, we'll do a prayer, and then we'll all stand together for that opening hymn. Okay. So in the bullet, bulletin, there was no star indicating <laughs> stand for that little singing of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It did not matter in the least. <laughs> Once that chord was played, y'all were up. And do you think I just sat there like... It's supposed to be quiet and reflective. <laughs> no! I was up! I think you were right, by the way. We stand for, oh, come, oh, come. God be with us. Yeah, we need God here. And so we, we, we for the following Sundays, had the asterisks back in the, the bulletin on that part. We were, we were standing every week. But boy, that first Sunday, what a reminder of the power of music and repetition. Come to the church long enough and you know, you hear the first chords on that organ and we're up, God, here it is. That's how it goes. Bolton might say otherwise, it does not matter. <laughs> and there's something wonderfully beautiful about that, as was experienced on November 27th, and I'll, I'll come back to that. Of course, there are ways this very same thing can get harnessed in a different direction. And that's what we were hearing about in Daniel chapter 3 that Babs read a few minutes ago. Quick context, Daniel chapter 1, this King Nebuchadnezzar has plundered uh, of Babylon, has plundered Israel, taking captive Israel's best and brightest people, and then begins actively working to assimilate all these people into Babylon and their ways and their gods. Here in chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar is doubling down on his effort to make sure everyone is in lockstep with him, his kingdom, his way. And so you heard he's made this enormous golden statue by our measurements, nine feet wide, 90 feet tall. We're not told much about the look of the statue, and that's probably the point. Anything can be made into a massive idol, something that calls for our fundamental allegiance, devotion above God. In this statue, you heard, it's built on the plains of Dura. Dura is a word in Hebrew that means generations, as if to suggest that the golden statue, cannot only, it's, it's not only going to be anything, it happens in every generation. Every place and time knows golden statues of all kinds. And then you heard the command. Every time the people hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the drum, and the entire musical ensemble, there to fall down and worship. Or, there's an option, be thrown into the burning fire. There's a furnace. 
You're going to feel the heat if you don't bow. Four times in our passage, you heard Babs read it, that list of instruments is repeated. It gets humorous. It's trying to make the point about the liturgy of this kingdom. The same music starts playing. You recognize it the first, by the first chord. And you all know what to do at that time. Oh, bow down. Golden statue. We heard the song. And we, we kind of chuckle reading this thousands of years later at just the, the scene of, of this repetition of these instruments and the boom, just like that. But it does invite us to consider, does the music ever pick up in its own way? In our time, <coughs> music that when it begins to play, our hearts almost unconsciously, reflexively, are drawn to worship, bow down, elevate something outside of, above Jesus and our following of him. Music that, that maybe we are kind of aware of it, but yeah, we're going to follow because we also know about the heat you get if you don't. Two or three thoughts on that. For some, for some, not all, but for some. I think Mondays are a day that some instruments start playing. We may declare on Sunday, you know what, I'm stepping into this week centered. From a place of peace, grounded in God, re-anchored in what really matters. Yeah. But then the music starts to play in the form of emails, text, Slack channel, meetings, things that came up that weren't on the radar, now everyone's got to cover down, things that are suddenly due a little earlier. And, and every week, it, it, the music's a little different, but it's kind of fundamentally the same. It plays really fast and reflexively invites us to bow before what Barbara Brown Taylor calls the idol of exhaustion. Where we both lament the exhaustion but also really can't stop because it's kind of a badge of honor and it, it shows to ourselves and others the value we bring. In this case, we, we bow before that idol by moving at light speed to give it all that it keeps asking for. Wait, but we, we declared on Sunday we were entering the week differently. We wrote it in the bulletin. Music played. And honestly, if somehow we found the wherewithal not to jump into the busy fray and do our part. Can you imagine the heat we might start to take from others who are in the fray? Dylan, why aren't you pulling your part? Why are you? For some of us, the music picks up in the political arena, much as it does in our passage in Daniel chapter 3. We do. We gather Sunday to Sunday and we remind ourselves, yeah, Jesus is Lord of all, above every allegiance, country, political affiliation. We remind ourselves to love one another, love and even bless our enemies. We remind ourselves to be careful with our words, humble in our confession. Yeah, the log, the log in our eye. That's right. Mm. Generous in our prayers, advocates for those on the margins. Yeah, that's what we're about. Yeah, yeah. But then, but then the music starts again. The latest unprecedented moment where, can you believe, red side leader did this and said this, blue side leader said this and did this. And I'm not saying it's, it's, it's unimportant matters, but, but it plays like this music. And, and, and we bow by throwing out all measure of humbleness, kindness, love, whatever, enjoying an unflinching lockstep with whatever our side is about at that moment. 
We, we all said we were going to love our enemies, confess our shortcomings. Uh, we put it in the bulletin. The music played. And honestly, if, if we found the wherewithal not to jump in and sort of proudly take our side with our people and disparage them and whatever, that's, oh my. I mean, can you, can you imagine the heat we might take? Can, can you imagine if we were to call for some political self-critique about some of our side or our ways? Can you imagine the heat? As an aside, one way you know you, you are messing with an idol of some sort, even if you can't name it yet, is, is when you start thinking about following Jesus and what it might mean in a certain situation or arena, and, and, and you begin to recognize that there is heat when trying to do that? Probably an idol. Idols always have a fiery furnace right behind them because idols do their work by way of fear to keep everyone in line. One more thought on music that plays and gets people in line. For a number of years now, over the Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, I tried to find time to read King's letter from a Birmingham jail, a piece of writing that is a marvel, philosophically, theologically, politically, and, and, and really just personal sheer courage. It's exemplar. Because he's writing from a jail and most definitely facing some rather intense heat. Why? Because he and his followers are calling out the music which is to say the unspoken sociology of how racism and segregation work. At one point in this very letter, he writes, perhaps it is easy for those of us who've never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait, slow down. And then he explains why it's quite difficult to hear those words, quote, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television. When your first name becomes the N-word, your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and your wife and mother are never given the respected title Mrs. In this part of the letter, King is calling out very specific notes of racism. Notes like theme park rules. Notes like the exact word society uses to talk about one another with one another. You face fire for messing with idols. The truth is, idols are everywhere. They're part of the invisible fabric of every society and every place. And, and most anything can be an idol. Often they're very good things, right? They get elevated to an ultimate uncompromising allegiance above God. And when such music plays, you heard all the satraps, prefects, the governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, all the officials of the province, and us. Get in line. Are there other ways you think of how the music plays around us? In your own life, Idols uh, of almost a magnetic quality that when that music rhythm starts playing, it just calls the people into line, but maybe not in line with Jesus. And honestly, when you start to think about the spaces and ways that unfolds, you realize it's just easier to go through life going with the music most of the time. 
It's got its own momentum. You hardly need to do a thing to get caught up into it. Plus, since trying to do anything about it, calling out discordant chords or any of that is, means heat. And yet, have you ever heard post-World War II testimony of German, Germans who went with the Nazi music? Have you ever heard deathbed reflections from people who spent their entire life so very fearful of upsetting any of the music and ended up letting the music just carry the days? Have you ever talked with people who completely flamed out with every kind of health problem, trying to give the idol of exhaustion all that it wanted? Have you ever met someone who has everything and yet a profound anxiety that it's not enough and a deep drive just to keep getting more. You talk to someone or someone who, who just never did anything before the wrongdoing, the abuse that was happening in a family, a community, a school, idols ultimately destroy us. We get a glimpse of another way before an impossibly large idol, by way of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're called before the king to give account for the fact that they're not bowing down. And did you hear their response? Kind of fascinating. We have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. Like, we're not even going to explain ourselves. We're just not, we're not even doing the story. And, and then they, 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 they explain where they get their courage. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace out of your hand... Let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship that golden statue. Notice they didn't say, God is going to save us from this fire because God is faithful and goodness gracious, look how faithful we are being right now. And that's how God's going to do this. They say, God may save us. God may not deliver us from this particular fire. Either way, we're sticking with the God of life. We're not bowing. That's stunning. Not just stunning level of courage, but a stunning level of freedom. We're just, we're not in that story. Yeah. Either way, we're with this God. It's a sentiment echoed many years later by Jesus when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion. Do you remember what he prays? Oh, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. <laughs> I don't want to endure this fire. But not my will be done, but your yours. Will your will be done. In other words, whether you deliver me or not from the fire that is this cross, I'm with you, your way, unto the other depths, which is the space of utter love. Right? The reason the cross is empty in all of our sanctuaries is because we proclaim every Sunday that when we gather, that to follow Jesus unto the way of, 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 of the depths of, of love and forgiveness, wherever that takes us, even a great cost, is to follow the singular way that is not destroyed, that ultimately rises and gives life. Every other statue, every other idol, it ultimately breaks us, tears us, keeps asking for all of us until it gets all of us. 
There is a singular way unto wholeness, unto freedom. I am the way, the life, and the truth. A singular way, it is the way of love. For love has no fiery pit behind it. No measure of coercion whatsoever. It will not employ fear. Love never fails. Dare we follow the lead of love to whatever depths amidst whatever music. Maybe that's why you all stood on November 27th. It was the body and the soul doing what we ache for all of our words and actions to, to do beyond these walls. Seek for Emmanuel, the God of love, to come and be first. Maybe it's why we keep coming back to worship, because we really do know the gravitational pull of all the other music that is baked with fear. And we recognize we need a space where we can arrive with our hearts out of tune and beholden to so many other rhythms and, and music. And amidst all that, we're given this freedom and this space as we had last week to, to offer up prayers like, Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. We ache to pray for a different tune, a different melody to carry us in life. And this is that sacred space. Maybe we stood because we knew we need that. And if on that, this particular day, you're feeling the truth of that prayer starting to work on your heart, uh, tune, tune our hearts to that melody of love, the, the singular one that does not fail. And if you're starting to feel a little fire about what that might mean, you're starting like, oh my, but, 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 but love in this matter, this instance, this relationship, love. There well may be a fire near. But let's be discerning. The fire you're feeling is not fundamentally one of judgment or fear. When love draws near, that's, that's a refining fire. And it's melting 90 feet of gold and drawing us back unto the way of life. Amen.